on a bit of a journey. Um, near our house, there's a park. And uh, on summer days, I don't know whether you go down the park on a summer afternoon when the sea breeze is coming in. You've had a hot day and it, it's time for, um, you know, it's the cooling. It's like the whole, the whole land is exhaling and saying, oh, it's the end of the day. Had a hot summer day. So I walk to this park and uh, as, as you get to this park, there's a basketball hoop and usually there's some young people there playing basketball. There's cricket nets. Uh, at the cricket nets, you often have teams training. So these guys come down after, after work at the end of the day. They're hitting cricket balls. They're, they're playing over there. Go along this way. There's, there's like a running track marked out. And every, you hear, see people running. They're all sort of doing a bit of exercise at the end of the day. You go around the park. There's all sorts of things for kids. There's, there's a, like a playground. There's... Um, uh, dogs often there. People are, you know, the, the, the dogs are running around. People meet each other through their dogs. That's always going on at the park. Uh, in the middle is a cricket pitch. Sometimes you got people there. You got all sorts of things happening at this park. Uh, you got families come out after work. Kids are coming out. Everyone's kind of connecting. They're relaxing at the end of the day. Uh, there's a, the breeze is coming in. There's trees around the edge. People from different ethnic groups where we are, there's quite a lot of different people um, from different nations there. And you just got this amazing sense of people coming together, relaxing at this park, kind of like a community hub. I wonder if anyone, if you've got a park like that around your place, at the end of the day, especially on a summer day, the breeze comes in and it's like the whole community relaxes. It's, it's a real time of connection. Kind of like what you think community should be, the good old days. This happens most afternoons uh, around our place and maybe at lots of other places in the city as well. So why do I mention that? Because this experience in the afternoon, work is done for the day, the sea breeze is coming in and it's like, oh, it's like a time of rest, a time of connection, friendship, play, joy, and I want to say that that's what relationship with God is all about. This image of people coming together in this relaxed place, that's, 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 a, that's a deep primal image of what it means to connect with God. It's expressed very, very clearly right at the start of the Bible, chapter 3. So these, this verse here. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, the cool of the day literally says the wind of the day. It's the afternoon sea breeze. That's a very similar climate in the Middle East to what we have in Perth. So you've got the afternoon sea breeze. God chooses to come to the people in the garden that he's designed for them when the sea breeze is coming. It's like this afternoon time at the park. Now, it's, it's, this verse is occurring in a pretty difficult place because Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've just eaten the fruit uh, that they shouldn't have eaten. So things are, uh, things are going pretty badly. Creation's about to go into this downward spiral. The wheels are about to fall off. But in this verse, even though it's kind of after the fall, you get, a, you get a window into what it was like before the fall. You get a picture of what relationship with God was meant to be. They're walking. God is walking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what God wants relationship to be like. That's how it's meant to be. God, we are meant to connect with God like that. In the cool of the day, relax, play, connect, community. And God comes at that point to engage. That's what life is meant to be. 
God comes to be present with us at that time of day. Most of the time when you, when you talk about, when we look at the Bible, we're looking at things after the fall. We're looking at a world which has decayed. And so things are tough. The struggle, there's difficulty. And, you know, we, we experience that. It's like the fire has come. The disaster has taken place. We've got to fix it all up. But a verse like this takes you back into what it was like right at the start. The pristine world and what relationship with God was meant to be. God's presence with the people in the garden in the cool of the day. And interestingly, you go to the end of the Bible and you see a similar reality. So where does God end up? It says that God comes down to be with people. So his dwelling place is with us. He wipes every tear from their eyes. And it's, it's an amazing sort of parallel. God wanted this connection right from the start to, to connect with the people in this relaxed way. And right at the end, God comes down. And he, again, you have this recreation of God being present with his people. It's an amazing scenario. That's what things are meant to be like. That's how they initially were, and that's how they're going to end up. Just like the park after work, the sea breeze is in. People are enjoying one another. The stress of work has been completed, relaxing and refreshing this relationship with God. That's normal. That should be our reference point for what it's like to connect with God. But, but we live in a world which has trauma and struggle and difficulty. All sorts of barriers are there between us and God. They weren't created to be that way. One day they're not going to be that way. But live in this space where there are the barriers. We have hang-ups. We have resentments. We have scars. We have all sorts of habits that might prevent us from enjoying that perfect relationship that keep us from the fullness of his presence, that keep us from actually enjoying God. We live post-fall, and maybe this picture, this, this picture says something to me about what life is like post-fall. This is 1860, this was um, created. Things are not ideal. So we read the verse, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and that's the good part. That's the ideal. That's how it's meant to be. God is there in the garden, bringing his presence to people to connect with them. God's posture is towards relationship. He's coming into the space. He takes the initiative. But something has happened here. Something's been broken. It's not ideal any longer. The second half of that same verse says, the man and the woman hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now they're hiding could have been this beautiful walking together, uh, delighting in God pres God's presence, but instead, I'm going to say the people, but really it's we, isn't it? We're the people. We back away from God's presence. So who's doing the hiding? Last week I mentioned that God hides from us, not because he doesn't want to be found, but because he wants to draw out us to seek after him. He hides himself so that we will look for him. So that we'll become thirsty, so that we'll actually experience him more deeply. But in this case, the people are hiding from God because they want to avoid God. They want to step out of the relationship. When God hides, he wants to draw us in. When we hide, we want to, we want to avoid God, avoid his presence and intimacy. And I want to say that this theme, I think, runs through the whole Bible. God always takes the initiative. God is always engaging He's wanting to be present. He want, he's wanting to offer the gift of his presence. That's what God does. He wants to be intimate. He moves into that space. 
But we, because of our sin, our shame, our fear, for all the stuff that's in us, we're not comfortable, so we back away. We hide. We avoid the intimacy that God has for us. So God is moving into this space. God is always taking the initiative to connect. And the problem with us is that we back off. There's something in us that causes us to back off. We move away, we disengage, we avoid God's presence. That's kind of the theme that runs through the whole of creation, the whole of the fallen world, and in each of us, I think. So I want to explore that a bit further. So after that event, things get a bit difficult. So here's the picture, Adam and Eve now being driven out of the garden. An angel with a flaming sword is said to uh, prevent them from coming and enjoying the tree of life. They can no longer access the tree of life. How can God still be for them? You know, so how can God be wanting to engage with them if he's stopping them from, uh, from taking part of the tree of life? Isn't he punishing them? Hasn't he rejected them now? But I think we need to understand, even in this space where the people are pushed outside the garden, when God withdraws his presence, it's not forever and it's, that's not his intention. His intention when he pushes them out is it so that intimacy can be restored. Why do you discipline your children? You do it because they're doing stuff that's unacceptable. Uh, you do it because uh, they're making themselves impossible to live with. They're not going to succeed in life if that behavior, if that attitude keeps going. So you discipline them and they don't like it. They feel you're being harsh. Maybe they say, you know, you hate me. They express that it's unfair. But why do you discipline? You discipline because you, you love them. Because you actually want connection. You want to relate to them. Because after the discipline, you can re-enter the relationship. You can have the connection again. You can receive them back. Ideally, they're humbled. <laughs> they're corrected. The aim of the discipline is to empower them to change. So that their attitude can change. You can have re-establishment of intimacy. Restoration of relationship. And I suggest that that's what God's like too. When God... When God drives people out of the garden, it's not because he's not rejecting them and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. He's saying, the only way we can have reconnection is if I, if I put you out there and I'm going to put something in place that eventually will see us reconnect. That's the only way intimacy can be reachieved. Remember what things were like when God approached them in their sin and their shame. They couldn't handle it. They backed away. They drew back. They hid. They felt awful. And they couldn't have intimacy with God while they're in that place. So something has to change. God has to put them outside the garden. He can do something out there that's going to restore intimacy. He can't do it in the garden. Because the garden, when God is there and they're not in the right place, they're tortured. They can't handle intimacy with God. Now, life is hard outside the garden, that's true. But at least they're not tormented by the fact that God is there. He's there in a different way. God covers their sin with the clothes he makes. God knows it's difficult out in the garden. He knows it's going to be hard, but he's not finished with them. This is not the end. This is the start of a process of restoration. And this is the only way it could come, the only way intimacy could be restored. God says it's not always going to be like that. I'm pushing you out, not because I want to keep you out, but because I want to, I want to bring you in. And I'm going to begin a process whereby my presence can come to you again, to be restored. 
even in the act of preventing them from accessing the tree of life, God is beginning to unfold the plan by which they will have a new access to the tree of life and be with him forever. So this tabernacle is set up. The next stage of the relationship, another phase of God's search for intimacy, uh, another way in God, which God brings his presence to people. So the tabernacle, the tabernacle first is a tent and then it becomes a temple which is made of stone. Uh, we have the concept of priesthood and sacrifice introduced. So even though people still have their sin and their shame, there's a way to access God. The tabernacle essentially is God saying, because the tabernacle and the temple both live at the centre. God says, I'm coming to be at the centre. I want to be at the centre of my people. In the wilderness, they're arranged around it uh, and the temple is in the centre of Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to dwell with my people. I want to be with them. But there's going to be some strict rules. You can't handle the intimacy at the moment. So I'm going to put some conditions and rules around that, accessing my presence. So there's this thick curtain that separates where God is in the most holy place from uh, everybody, from, the, from people, from the nations, from everything. Only one person goes in there once a year. They take a sacrifice uh, to remind them of the sin. And the tabernacle reminds us God wants intimacy. He wants his presence with his people, but there's barriers at the moment. You can't, you can't have the restoration in its fullness. All these elaborate rituals, access to God's presence is available, but it's, there are very strict conditions around it. Even in the sin and the shame, they can have access, but it's a limited, restricted access. The curtain says you can't come directly. You can come via a priest and a sacrifice, and many hundreds of years go by while this is the reality, this is the case. It's not ideal, but it's a stage preparing for something more. God hasn't given up on them. This is part of his plan. He's planning full intimacy, full disclosure, full reality with them, and this is a stage along the way. The priesthood, the tabernacle, the sacrifice, it's all limited but it's pointing towards something. It's saying that God's what used to be, I want that to be restored, this relationship, this connection. So we see Galatians 4 says, at the right time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. In the garden, God reached out through the, through the patriarchs. Abraham, God reached out. Through the Exodus, God reached out. Through the tabernacle and the kingship, God was reaching out, but in limited ways. He was always wanting to bring his presence to his people, always wanting to be with us. And the Old Testament essentially is a series of stages, limited, restricted, not yet in its fullness. Jesus comes, and the presence, God himself in human form, the very presence of God comes to live with us, Emmanuel. God is with us. He walks with people. He connects with people. He laughs with people. He makes people whole. And so the heart of God is on display, but only for a limited group because not everyone can access him. He's in a body. He's limited to how many people he can speak to. He's limited to where he can go, one place at one time. So you've got the very presence of God, but in a limited human form in one body. The whole world cannot be impacted by one person, but he can have an incredible impact in a small circle. But even this is not the final chapter. 
the limitation has to be removed so that all the world can have the presence of God. It was amazing. It was God himself, but it was not the final stage of God's plan to restore intimacy. Our sin and our shame was being dealt with, and Jesus had to come. Ultimately, he would be the one that all the sacrifices pointed to. He would take on himself the sin, the shame, our hiding, all the stuff that kept us from God. He would finally deal with the sin and rebellion that caused us to turn away from God and had kept us from the tree of life. So when he gets to the cross, the last words, it is finished. The work of restoring the relationship has been completed. And everything changes. The moment that Jesus says it is finished, we read that the temple, that the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom. So the, the barrier of getting to God, that, that's broken open completely. You know, the, the sense of God's presence uh, we couldn't access before because the curtain, you couldn't go into God's presence. Book of Hebrews says now, access is open. You can come into the very presence of God. But not only can you come in, think about it from God's perspective. God was in like a little room. That curtain is now open. The way is open for God now to come into all the earth. The true high priest has entered the presence, carrying his blood, the final sacrifice. And by doing this, he opens the way to go in and for God to come out. Once again, God's presence would be able to enter the whole of the earth to all people. Before Jesus died, he was with his disciples and he said he was leaving. He said, this is all going to happen. And they were sad. How could they not be sad? He'd done so much for them. He was with them. He was helping them. He was God's presence to them. And then Jesus said these words, uh, I will give you another helper. So I've come to be God's presence to you. When I go, I'm going to die and be raised. They didn't quite understand it at that stage, but he was looking forward and he's going to say, uh, I'm giving you another helper. I'm going I'm limited to being in one body. I'm, I've become a human being. But when I go, another helper who, who will come, who will be with you forever, who is not limited to, be, to one human body, the Holy Spirit is unlimited, can come to every person at the same time. One like him, God, but able to be present with everyone. This was the plan. He drove them out of the garden Initially, of course, it was to make them realize their sin, but it was actually a stage in this journey where God wanted to come. Jesus came. He came outside the garden. He came to the place we were. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He took the initiative. Once the work was done, it is finished, the way was open for God to come to everyone through Jesus. Not limited to one human life, but accessible to everyone. After the resurrection, he was in a room with the disciples. He showed them his hands and his side. There was no doubt that this was the same Jesus who had died, that they had followed. He was sending them as he had been sent. And he, and he has this action. He says, it says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as God has come to you now in me and you have followed me, 
Now God is coming to you through the Spirit. Breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. The presence of God was with them and now would be in them. They they were to receive God's presence and God's power in their very lives. God himself, by the Holy Spirit, would be in them. Just a few days later, there's 120 disciples gathered on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had gone back to the Father. There was a sound of wind, flames of fire on their heads. The presence of God entered the room. They began to speak in other languages and declared the glory of God. Peter stood up and this is what he said. Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. He's gone back to the Father. And it says he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit was with the Father, waiting until the work was done. And when Jesus was glorified, the Father said, now's the time. He, 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 and Jesus receives the Spirit from the Father and then pours out what you now see in here. The events of the day of Pentecost, the Spirit has finally come. God's presence has come to the people. That's what, how Peter explains you, he has poured out what you now see and hear on the day of Pentecost. He walked with him in the garden, his presence with Adam and Eve. He created the tabernacle, then the temple. His presence mediated through the sacrificial system. He became a human being, Jesus Christ. His presence as one of us, with us. All through the Bible, God was working towards Uh, giving us his very self. He always wanted to connect. He always wanted to be with us. He always wanted us to experience his presence. When the sacrifice of Jesus, when it's finished, the curtain is torn, the way is open, the promise of the Father, the Spirit, comes to all those who trust in Jesus. And I want to emphasize on the day of Pentecost uh, what happened to those present. I'll just read from that. Listen listen what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now it's interesting, Luke, who records this for us in in, in the, in the, the book of Acts, is emphasizing something. It says they were all together, the entire house, the Spirit came on each of them, and they were all filled. The whole church. This is, it wasn't as if there was a, an in-group and there were all these others in the out-group. 120, that's the whole lot. And four times Luke says it happened to all of them. The whole church was filled with the Spirit. It wasn't just for the in-crowd. The presence of God that was promised by Jesus to them came to all of them. It's not just for a few. Now, I'm not saying the experience will be exactly the same. You look through history, people have different experience of the Spirit, but for followers of Jesus, the Spirit is fully available to every single one of us. There's no exclusions. God's presence from that time was with them in power. They had a mission to accomplish, and now they would have the resources to complete that mission. God's presence would be with them. He's not going to leave them. He's going to be with them. And that's what God was intending all the way along. It was always his plan to dwell with us, to be with us. His presence 
It's in the day of Pentecost. It's in the early church. I want to say the same reality applies. All the followers of Jesus, the promise is for, what Peter will say, for you and all those far off, all those who God will call, all those who trust in Jesus. The same reality applies. We live in a time of history. It wasn't just for the, the opening bell. We live in the age of the Spirit. This is how God's presence is with us. It's by the Spirit. Through what Jesus has done, the Spirit comes to all believers all through history and stays with us forever. We live in this time of fulfillment that the Old Testament, they could only hope for. We have his presence with us. But I think what happens is there are reasons why we find that difficult. We kind of find it difficult to experience. We have the promise, but sometimes we lack the experience. That's why I want to go back to this picture. That says the struggle. There are things within us. We neglect the presence of God. We avoid the presence of God. We turn away from or miss out on the presence of the initiative that God takes toward us. God is fully available. You notice God in that picture, he comes to them. God's not turning away. It's, that, it's the people are turning away from him. He wants to walk with them in the cool of the day. He has this idea, guys, I want to connect. And they're going, oh, it's just, just too hard. In the same way, God wants to connect today. But there can be barriers on the human side. Guilt makes us feel like we can't connect. Shame makes us feel there's something wrong with us. God won't want to look upon us. There's something wrong with me. You know, some people, you know, I can, I can understand that others could experience God and know him, but there's just something about me that I can't do that. There's something wrong with me. That's shame. Or fear. We might be afraid of what it means to connect with God. So I think even today, this picture captures something of our situation. God still wants to connect, just as he did right from the start, just like he will do right at the end. He's in that space of connection. He's done all that's necessary through Jesus to break down the barriers. There's no obstacle on God's side. But maybe we put walls up. We put, put obstacles in the way. So I want to invite us today, I'm going to do an, an activity. Remember I said last week, I want to invite you to act out some things that help. You know, sometimes people get it when they just hear the words. Other people get it when they participate in something. So this, uh, we're going to have some stones. There's some stones here, and they're dark stones because they represent those things in us that cause us to back away, that keep us in the darkness, So I want to encourage you to reflect and consider to what extent in that, what is it that keeps you hiding? What is it that turns you away from the initiative of God to connect with you? I think it's individual. I think we all have things in our lives, whether it's for experiences or things that are happening, that, that kind of keep us from wanting to, from taking that step and saying, turning around and saying, God, even in my sin and shame and fear, I'm going to connect with you because you're offering the initiative and you're coming to me. And I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to turn. And even if it's a, a fearful thing, I'm going to face it. So the, the dark stones are those things that hold us back. And I want to 
we're going to um, have the opportunity to take one and personalise it for you. What is it you think that might be keeping you from turning to the God who is turning to you? For some people it might be, you might never have actually made a commitment. There might be some people who say, well, I'm on the journey to understanding Jesus. It might be, I want to let go of control of my life. I haven't yet turned. I want to, I want to drop that stone. We're going to drop them in here. <laughs> Grab it. And I say, I want to let go of my life. Finally, I don't want to turn. I want to, I want to take the step of turning to God because he's already turned to me. The work is already done in Christ. The Spirit is already promised to us. Some, some others might be something, it might be something you've done. There might be something in your life that, you know, it comes up and you think, I, don't, I feel my conscience is bothering me. I, say, I know that God wants to connect, but I'm just finding it difficult. I'm finding it hard to turn to him in intimacy. So there may be something you want to identify and you pick up the stone and you say, this is that thing that I'm struggling with and it's causing me to turn away. I want to let it go. I want to embrace the promise that God has of intimacy. For some people, it could be sometimes something has happened to you. Uh, things have happened to you in your life, wounds, hurts, difficulties. And for some reason, that is acting as something. It's keeping you away from turning to God and receiving that promise and knowing him in fullness. So if there's something like that, I'll take the stone. This is what that is for me. Let it go. Again, it's done. Jesus carried our sin. Uh, he also carried our sorrows. You're free. You're clean. You're accepted. Let go of what might be holding you back. And some people might, it might be a struggle with doctrine. It might be in the past, you've been told, God doesn't do that sort of stuff anymore. God is somehow changed. <laughs> When I read the promises of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament, that's not just for one experience on the day of Pentecost. That's for the whole time that we live in. Right into, The Holy Spirit will be, with, be, be with you always. The presence of God was for always. This is the normal thing. God wanted intimacy. Uh, Jesus did everything needed to achieve that intimacy. And now the promise of the Spirit is here. The intimacy available with God for us to walk in. But maybe people have said to you, well, you can't have that. Or God doesn't do that anymore. It's this, God, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The prom, we're moving forward in the promises, and the promises are now, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, which means all people, no, no distinctions. Everyone in the church has the capacity and the potential to receive intimacy with God, whatever gifts you have for the ministry he's called you to. He has that for us. So again, the dark stone might be the limitations that ideas around things you say I want to let that go I want to let go of the idea that God doesn't do that anymore or, or it's not for me or I can't be accepted or something like that take it let it go so I'm going to open this up so you might want to come and grab a stone and you might want to reflect uh, and think that's that's it for me and, and place it in there and over this side there are some uh, there are some White stones. You know the book of Revelation that says that Jesus is going to give you a, new, a stone which has a new name on it? Now, I can't promise you there's a new name on that stone. Only he knows that name. But this is like a symbolic thing saying, I want to walk into that place where the intimacy with God, like having a new name, the new stone, letting go of what it was, taking on this new reality with God. Again, it's symbolic. 
It's our faith that does the transaction through what Jesus has done. Um, the stones help us receive it. It's not that the stones do anything, but it can help us say, that's the thing. That's the thing that's holding me back. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to move over here and I'm going to take, I want to take on to this new reality and keep the stone, maybe put it on your desk or something, say, this is the new reality. Everything that God has for me is available to me in Christ. The Spirit has come. Intimacy with God, His presence, the cool of the day, He wants to walk with us. Jesus died to carry all of those things. God raised him from the dead. He's exalted to the right hand of God and he pours out the Spirit now. All the promises and the goodness of God available to all his people for the whole time, for, for always. He will be with us forever. So I've got on the... Uh, let's go to the next one. So this one here, this is our movement. Let's go to the next slide. Over here, this is the what holds me back from the intimacy with God. In the middle is the work that was done by Jesus on the cross. That's how it's achieved. It's not done by us, but we receive the gift. It is finished. The barrier to intimacy, from God's perspective, the curtain is torn. It's all been done. And then we move into this place of freedom. We, we pick up a new stone, a new freedom to know the fullness of God, his presence with us. That's his plan for each of us, for everyone in the church. He's taken our sin, our guilt, our shame. He gave his life. The curtain is torn. He's raised to the right hand of God. And now the Father pours out the Holy Spirit on the church, on all the church. A new freedom of worshipping God, walking with him in the cool of the day, filled with his presence and power, living the life that God designed us to live. So we're going to spend some time as a congregation. We're going to need to come this way to move from this side. And as we come over here, I'm going to ask, Jess is going to actually, you know, she's, because um, it's like kind of symbolic, acting senior pastor. So Jess is going to act as senior pastor. <laughs> Representing uh, really a channel, a vessel, through whom, uh, the blessing of God will come to us. Jesus has achieved it on the cross. Come to the God who loves us, who has given his life for us. Let go of the stuff that holds us back, causes us to turn away. Receive what Jesus has done and the new life in his resurrection and coming of the Spirit. Keep that stone. Let it remind you of everything God has for you, his presence for you. So invite anyone, if you'd like to participate, come.